Well, Tim Chantier is with us today to preach the word, and uh, he doesn't have an air-conditioned church. Uh, he has been in uh, Papua New Guinea, come on up, Tim, for uh, 13 years, uh, translating the New Testament into the Yembe Yembe language. And we got to... Uh, Amen. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to tell more about what they're doing, so it is, it's truly my privilege to introduce Tim Thanks. this morning. Thanks, Chris. So good to see you. All right, good to be home. Yay! Woo. Oh man, I'll try not to spaz out too much. I get so excited. 20 years ago, I was here and, and God started this process together. It all started here. So thank you for sending us out to go uh, for God to plant his church in the MBMB. And I didn't go out alone. I have a wife and three boys. So this is my wife, Courtney, and our three boys, Elijah, Judah, and Benjamin. Uh, Elijah and Judah were only around when we first went there. Elijah was only two years old, and Judah was only six weeks old. And so, and for those of you that freak out about shots and vaccinations, they actually had them there to give to the boys later. So they got their vaccinations. Okay, we have Elijah who is 15, Judah who is 13, and Benjamin who is nine. And we grew up in this place called Papua New Guinea, and it's an island north of Australia. So if you look at this screen, you'll see a map. It's coming. There it is. There's dots on this map. Who wants to take a guess? Maybe you already know. It's okay if you know. What do these dots represent? Wow, that was awesome. Languages. A couple people said tribes. A couple people said villages. This is the size of the state of California, the right side of this island. There's over 800 different languages. And some of you are thinking, well, there's probably some similarities. Well, that's called a dialect, and there's 2,000 dialects on top of that. Okay, so yeah, it's eight, over 800 different languages. And Jesus, when he was on this earth, right before he went up, there's three or four accounts of it. I got two of them here, in Mark and in Matthew. And in Mark, it says, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, or the good news. Into every one of these dots. The problem is, in order to do that, it's going to take 10 to 15 to 20 years of your life in order for that gospel to go into their language with clarity and their culture and their worldview. It takes years. And so that's why we went over to the dot of Yembe Yembe. You see it on the screen. And we presented the gospel to them. I need five volunteers or anybody... Men or women, I just need this timeline brought up to the stage and held up for everyone to see. So five of anybody, go ahead as the Spirit leads. All right, we got two, three, one more. All right, one more. Awesome. And then bring it up on stage. Y'all can be careful. Don't fall as we go up on stage. We... We're able to make this timeline for the MB people. Is every, do we have more lights? Make sure the light's on either side. For the MB people, this is hanging up in our teaching house today. That's what we call it. Don't call it the church. Church is people. The building's the house where the church meets. And so we have this hanging up around in our teaching house because we want them to get the full story that God laid out in the order that God laid it out to us. And so we start over here, in the beginning, God. Now, I, I translated it in English so you can understand. You can look at it afterwards. It'll be there on the floor. But it's in their language, there for them to read. And we say, in the beginning, God. This took us a week and a half because they had over 200 spirits that they were fearful of. They're very much in a power-fear culture. 
fearful of these spirits. And then there's honor, shame in there as well. And so he said, God is higher than all of these spirits. And the one thing that just hit them between the eyes was that God knows your thoughts. None of their 200 spirits could do that because they could hide from them. And they're like, there's no hiding from this. I got, I got to hear the rest of this. I am messed up. And so we finally established God. If God doesn't have his rightful place, then the rest of the story doesn't make sense. Because ever get over here and someone says, well, I don't like that bad things happen to good people. Well, their problem is going back here with God and who God is and how he operates on this earth. And so we don't want to move forward in the story, in God's story, until there's understanding. And then we get to the, the sin that God sees that we are separated from him at birth because of what Adam and Eve did. There's a sin in all of us that were born this way. The baby's born. He has a sin nature, poor guy, because of there. It started back there, and then we keep going, and we talk about, you know, God provided a way for them to have a covering of this sin. It was killing a lamb or a sheep on the altar, and that would cover it, but not for all time. There had to be another one next week. But back here, look, this red line starts. Oh, love the red line. They love the red line. <laughs> because God saw this problem. He said, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send the, send the seed of the woman. The Messiah is going to come. And we let them live in this story for four months, five nights a week, two hours a night. The Messiah is coming. The story of Abel. The Messiah is coming. Enoch, Noah, go through Babel, Abraham, Isaac. The only reason these stories are there and they're really important is because they're somehow threaded into the line of the Messiah who is coming. Even today, you, we're going to hit the story of Jonah, which comes up here. And the only reason it's there probably in the fact that it's in connection with this red line because when Jesus comes on the scene, he looks at the Pharisees and says, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. The what? You have to know all these stories so when Jesus refers back to all of them, it makes sense. And so we get to New Testament, and yeah, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. Ding, 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 ding. They're looking back here. We gave it in God's order. See, when I grew up, I didn't get it in this order. That's why this is so awesome. I got it in piecemeal. How many, how many animals did Moses bring on the ark? Yeah, I was confused. See, some of you are starting to get that. It was Noah. Now you, now you get it. See, everyone's getting it. I love the thread because it brings it all together. God had the plan from the beginning. When I would share the gospel... As a young teen, you know, God loves you, four spiritual laws, you know, no, grow, and go, and all these different acronyms. But we never talked really about the problem and where it all started. I would give it out of order. And I wondered why people weren't getting it, why I wasn't getting it. When someone asked me, can you just share the gospel with me? I'm like, what? But God gave us the plan in his order. This is the most important message of all time. Most important message. But it wasn't to me because I could tell you about my favorite show that week. Oh, this show was so good. Did you see that? That was on my mind. But I couldn't share this from my mind. This should be the most important message in our mind at any moment to give it back from our mind. And we, I'll, I'll pull this out in the room with the kids at night. And I'll just roll it up. And I'll say, okay, we'll start here. Just tell me about the judges. Okay. But how does it connect? How does it connect? That's the power of that story and the next story. And that's the power of this. So we presented the gospel to them. We said, Jesus came on the scene. He says, I am the lamb of God. And right when we said that, ding, 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 ding. God's filing it away in their minds. 
And then one guy came up to me and said, Tim, I have an idea. I want to know if I'm on the right track. I think Jesus is going to have to die. What do you think? I said, well, what makes you think that? He says, well, I look back, and every time an animal gets on the altar, it always dies. And I went back to Abraham, and I checked. He did kill him. Isaac was spared, but not the lamb. And so if he's the lamb of God, then I don't understand, but I think he's going to have to die. Just from this story. But he did say, I don't understand how it all fits. And he was one of our first believers, one of our first 11 that night around 2 a.m. in the morning because we'd teach five nights a week, but then we had a review from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. on Saturday. That was our men's meeting. Who would come to that here? <laughs> we presented the good news. God said, do it, but do it my way. Thanks, guys. You can put that back down there. Amen. Yeah. awesome. Oh, so this next picture is of our church. We have a small little church there, and uh, we just went back and visited them. We've now had a church there for many years. Um, it's so great to see what God did. God, God birthed his church. We did it. We're just using his methods. But the second part of that thing that God, that Jesus, he's standing in front of his disciples, and he said, preach the good news, so let's go back to that map. Preach the good news, but look at that bottom verse. What did he say there? Make disciples. How long does it take to make a disciple? A long time. People say, well, I just make disciples as Jesus did. Okay, let's follow that one, Mr. Know-it-all. Look at, I did the, the math this morning. I was wrong last week. I'll have to write a note about that in last week's message, but I'm going to get it right today. Um, Let's say Jesus spent, on average, four hours a day in discipleship time with his disciples. Follow me here. Four hours a day. Let's say he did it for about three years. So he times four hours times 365. That's about, oh, man. Let me do it right here. 4,300. I don't want to get it wrong this time. Someone's going to email me this week about it. All right. Yeah, 4,380 hours is on average how many hours Jesus spent with his disciples in the three-year span. If I was to do that same amount, okay, let's go to the next slide. This is my disciples. These are five of them. Not that one. Sorry, the next one. That's for Jonah. You'll see the five guys across the top there. Zacchaeus, I would spend about two hours twice a week with him. Okay, so that's about four hours a week. I would get in about four hours a week with each of these guys, except Roger, my coworker Brooks, would get with him. If I was to do the same amount of hours that Jesus did, it would take me 21 years at twice a week to make a disciple in the same amount of time that Jesus did. My point is, it takes time to make disciples. It's not ding, 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 boop, microwave. Two weeks, we got a disciple. Two years, we got a disciple. The Holy Spirit's timeline to mature you is not a microwave. It takes time, and it takes time to walk with these guys. Actually, Fidelis, the guy in the middle there, he wasn't even one of our disciples. We left the tribe, and John Fisher and Malachi, they discipled him, and he became a believer. Not only that, he's one of our deacons. And that's what we call multiply. We want to multiply ourselves. And so it's happening, but they still need discipleship. We've been there about 13 years. We're going back for two more. By God's grace, um, Courtney, our, my wife, not our wife, not yours, mine. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so excited to be here. Woo! 
she was sick uh, three years ago and um, actually many years ago, just constant headaches and everything. It didn't look like we would go back. There's two things we always said that would take us off the field, health and mom and dad. If mom and dad, because First Timothy 5, you take care of mom and dad, and then health. And that's what it was. There was no way we could stay there. And then this past year, we thought was our last year, because they said her neck was the opposite of what it should be, curved. You know, you're supposed to have a curve that way, it's that way. No wonder she's in so much pain. But we're going to pray that God heals. And so the year, right before we left, they did an x-ray, and like, wow, it's straight up. It looks like God's healing. And we just went there two weeks ago, and actually it's curved back the way it's supposed to be. Isn't that amazing? Amen. So it's not all the way there, but it's getting there. There's all this, all right, you guys should be able to go back for two more years and God will continue to work. And so that's why we're going back because they'll say, well, you got the translation. Isn't that enough? You got believers. But he did not say, go and make translations of all nations. Did he? He just said to make disciples. And I, I just put faces so that you guys can see. These are the guys we're working with. They have guys they're working with. And that's why we're going back. To see disciples. And then when they're mature and the multiplication is happening, not just guys who know how to get together and have a good club meeting, but they're ugh, moving, growing, growing. And that's what we want. So that's why we're going back into MBMB. So that's a little update. All right. We are going to get into Jonah now. We're finishing off Jonah 4 this morning. Don't worry. There's more exciting stories to come. This won't be boring. Jonah's exciting too. Jonah chapter 4. If you can turn there in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1. Here's the context. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and give him a message. Jonah didn't want to, so he gets on a ship, and God sent a storm. Eventually, Jonah gets thrown over the ship, gets swallowed by a big fish. He's in the fish for three days, and then gets spit out. He finally tells Nineveh the message, and actually Nineveh repented and turned to God. And this was his response when he saw what happened. Verse 1, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away, ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate. You're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Jonah had correct information about God. Everything he writes there is correct. He's merciful, he's compassionate, and he's filled with unfailing love. Well, if he knew that, then why was he greatly upset? Filled with anger. He knew the truth. Where's the disconnect? He had correct information about God. Um, the word there on family love, that's loving kindness. That's what we've been referring to in the previous week. This is God's loving kindness. He hated that God's loving kindness was going to another group. He wanted to make Israel great again. No other place should get that option. He was saying, don't give them grace. Don't give them your mercy. Don't give them your loving kindness. And I mean, and you can look at the guys of Assyria. I mean, Nineveh was just a town in that place. They were proud that they could keep someone alive long enough while they skinned them alive. That's their claim to fame. 
that's what they were proud of, to be able to skin people alive, kill them, but keep them alive the longest. No one else can do that like we do. So yeah, and they weren't following God and God's law. So he looks at that and he said, they don't deserve your mercy. They don't deserve your loving kindness. It upset him. So even though he had correct information, he knew God was like that, it still angered him. So verse four and five, the Lord replied, is it right? Oh, he said, just kill me now. Verse three, just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Angry, just rather be dead. Was he filled with God's loving kindness at this point? Was he experiencing it? No. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Whoa. I'm like Jonah. I get angry about so many things. I still do. And he is no different than us. Is it right? He's like, you don't even have a right to be angry about this. God is now reaching out to Jonah's soul, and he's trying to teach Jonah a lesson. Now, how did God ask him? I don't know. But somehow, Jonah heard the voice in his language. Did God have to do three years of language study like I did? I prayed for the gift of tongues. Just give it to me now, Lord. But he had it right away, and he was able to tell him, is it right? Then, verse 5, Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Okay, in Yembe, we have guys who make shelters. Every time we go out to hunt, um, we would make a makeshift shelter. You'll see it on Discovery Channel. You know, you get your um, sticks there. You kind of make a half shelter, and then you can just kind of get in there, and you sit like this, and you have your spear, and you wait for the pig or the uh, cassowary bird to come. This is, I, I get a picture like this. Like, he, he was so angry, he's just like, <clears throat> you know, and he, he walks over. There's none over there, and he's like, I hope God's nothing to be merciful. Makes a shelter, and he's just like that. This is how we all sit in front of our shelter, because if you sit on the ground, you get all the bugs in you. And so you got to get a, a feet, your feet. You're able to kill them at the feet first. So he's there. He makes a shelter, verse 6, and the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shadowing him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So how long did he sit there? Enough time for the plant to grow. I don't know how long. Doesn't give us. But the point is, God arranged. God sent the life to the plant. God sent the leaf. He sent a good thing to Jonah. He's like, oh, this is nice. God loves me. Actually, he didn't. But he's still angry. He's like, well, that's good. Of course God would give that to me. He should, because I follow his laws. Yep, you're doing the right thing, God. Entitlement. Entitlement. All right. But God, you ever hear that in some of those old churches there? But God, here we go, verse seven. But God also arranged for a worm. Ooh, a bad thing. God's sending a bad thing? He arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow against Jonah. Then the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. And he says it again. Death is certainly better. He says the same thing again. Death is certainly better than living like this. Urgh. 
course I get cut off on the freeway again. Of course, my kids are doing bad in school. Of course, he committed adultery in me. Of course, God hates me. And that's where he was. Then God said to Jonah, I'm just picturing Jonah probably here at this point. Who cares? Let the bugs get me. Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? I love Jonah's, wow, love it. Because I've been there. He says, yes! Even angry enough to die! See, before that, he still had his filter on. I know that's not right. That's not correct information. But I don't care anymore. I'm so angry at you. So angry. Oh, guys. I have the natural tendency that Jonah has. We all do. We all have been given this sin nature, something in us that just pulls us to anger. It came when Adam and Eve sinned. That was part of the death. Like before Adam and Eve sinned, there was no sin nature. There was nothing drawing them to that tree until Satan came in and tempted. But when they sinned, somehow God created the sin nature. God, in his justice, said, you're stuck with it now. And every baby that's born has this natural tendency towards anger. Me too. Just like Jonah. And so when he says, do you have the right to be angry? He's reaching out to his soul. He's trying to teach him. This anger isn't a good thing. You know, there's this talk about well, righteous anger. I don't know if I've experienced that yet. Maybe I did a little, but quickly my sinful anger just joined with it. And it just got all messed up. So I have righteous anger. I don't know, buddy. Be careful. Really, only God has perfect righteous anger. Because of your sin nature, there's always this clouded view of anger. And then verse 10. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about this plant, though you did nothing to put it there. Verse 9 and 10. Sorry. Verse 10. You did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And then he ends the book. Like, whoa, you're missing something here, Dad. God, you're missing something. Like, I would have, where's Jonah 5? Like, what? You're just going to end that there? And up until yesterday, I was like, why, why would he... You talk about the shelter and then the plan and then dying. Gosh, doesn't make any sense. Then, you know, something clicked yesterday, and I hope it blesses you. He's trying to do a contrast for Jonah. He's reaching out to the hearts of the Nineveh people, and he's also reaching out to the heart of Jonah. Okay? So follow me here. He cares more about the souls of men than a plant. And he's saying, Jonah, you care more about the plant than the souls of men. He said, I gave life to those Ninevites. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. I know 120,000 heartbeats. I hear them all right now. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. I see their souls. I'm sustaining them. I gave life to them, and I have the right to kill them. Like I told you, I'm going to kill you guys. I'm going to take you out. But they repented. And I gave my loving kindness to them because that's what I want. I'm after the souls of men. I gave life to this plant. And then I killed the plant. 
and you're angry about that, you're seeing everything from a human point of view, Jonah. Remember when Peter, he's talking to Jesus and Jesus says, I have to die. And Peter said, no, Lord. And he said, get behind me, Satan. You're only seeing, what? You're only seeing this from a human point of view, not God's. I have to die. This had to die, this plant, to show you a lesson, Jonah. This pain that you're feeling is from me. This bad circumstance But God is good all the time. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Yeah, he sends both. And that's why I put the whole God arranged. Because that messes with my mind. I don't like the bad stuff. I only like the good stuff. It's too painful to go through the bad stuff. The cancer. Walking in pornography for 11 years. It's too painful. Why? Why? The pain that Courtney went through. The pain that I saw our leaders go through. Um, Why don't you throw that picture up again of uh, those five guys there. The guy on the left, Zacchaeus, his daughter died at age eight. He has three children, now he has two. And they lost three or more even before, like as babies. Everyone has actually lost a baby in Yembe. It's a very common thing. So when Courtney had her miscarriage, God used that and even... They came around and gave love and grace because they'd experienced that loss. His daughter, Gwendolyn, died at age eight. And he wasn't in the village at the time. And she had malaria and she died from malaria. And he was so heartbroken. And you see, you have to understand the cultural backdrop of this problem. Whenever someone dies, it was that spirit. It was the termite spirit. It was the skin of the pig spirit, or it was the pig spirit, or it was the spirit behind the moon. They lived in constant fear. So everyone's watching. What is Zacchaeus going to believe today? I mean, he got up on Sunday, and he shared with the group, and he held out his hand, and he said, God gives life, and he takes it away. God knows when he stopped her heartbeat, or the sick stopped her heartbeat. And he says, I'm one stomach with it. And he went like that, and he just starts crying. And he said, we always want the good stuff from God, don't we? But we never want to experience that when someone next to us gets taken. But I'm one stomach with it. And he is experiencing the love, the peace of God now. He says, I'm going to see Gwendolyn in heaven. She did believe. He was teaching her. He's teaching her through the timeline and go, and he's so excited. And then he gave the gospel to everyone, and a couple of people believed that day. But we don't want the pain. We don't want the perceived bad. Just like Jonah, he didn't want that bad. He's like, that's bad. That's good. God, you're wrong. God, you're wrong. He's trying to see between this, this dilemma here of the life. Both things had life. He killed the one and left the other. And he's angry about it. Where does that anger come from? And I think it comes from the sin nature. So in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 16 and 17, there's a passage that talks about believers. And the reason I talked about the gospel at the very beginning is I want to say there's two groups in here from God's point of view, not man's point of view. Because once I say what I'm going to say, your little man's point of view 
is going to go, eh, I don't like that. Just be ready for what I'm about to say. There's two groups in here. There's Satan's group and there's God's group from God's point of view. How do you like that one? My human point of view, even when I say it, I'm like, oh, there's two of you that are going to walk out of here. It's like, oh, I don't want to say that. But from God's point of view, that's the only view that matters. When I'm looking at it from my human point of view, anger, depression, suicide, worry. When I'm looking at it from my human point of view, can anybody relate with me? Where does that come from? Here, he says, those of you who are in God's group. So let's say you're Satan's group and you're God's group. Sorry, guys. You're God's group, okay? He said, you believe the gospel. When you believe the gospel, now you're in God's group. Your sin's paid for, and he's given you the Holy Spirit. Now this is true of you. That's why I have the sin nature on the left, the eye in the middle, and the Holy Spirit on the right. This is a dilemma. I don't know what to call it. Every time I tried to find a word, it just like, oh, there's baggage with that. I just call it, these are three parts of the picture of how God sees you. Maybe next service, I'll find something better next service. But look, so I say, verse 16, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. So we have the Holy Spirit part. And then you, which is the you, won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You have the sinful nature. You have three parts of the puzzle, the picture going on here. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. We have two opposing forces. They're constantly fighting. And I remember I used to go to Hume Lake every year and I loved it and I get challenged. I'm like, okay, this is the year. I'm not going to look at porn anymore. I'm going to read this word. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to just be serious because I hear people share and I'm like, wow, that was an amazing truth right there. I didn't get that on my own. So I'd read. And I remember I'd come down, we start driving down through Fresno and it's just dead there. Not the people, just maybe, I don't know. But when you look on the sides, you look on the side, you know, it's just dead grass. And then my, even my spiritual side of like, oh, I'm starting to give up. And like, man, it's probably just going to be the same old year, struggling in this battle. And I used to pray. I don't know if you ever prayed this. Lord, take away my desires. Take away my desires. And God says, no. No, you're always going to have those sinful nature cravings until you leave this body, buddy. Once I accepted that I have this sinful nature, it was, like, it was a, a freedom to me. I always felt like the weirdo because I'd been in church, went to Grace Community Church, another church, this church, this church. I'd been in church for 20 years, but yet I would read it and this was kind of dead to me. I didn't feel this joy necessarily. I was struggling with these secret sins and like, God, what is it? Well, you have these natural cravings every day and the thing that gave me freedom. Oh, so beautiful. Listen up, guys. This is not spazzing Listen up. I will never want to do what God wants me to do. Bam. Listen to that. I will never want to do what God wants me to do. When you have just the I and the sin nature, apart from the Holy Spirit, I am never the one to do. Because this next verse in Isaiah 58, 8, it's on the next slide. It says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, Tim. I am the holder. The Holy Spirit is the holder of God's thoughts. My ways are far beyond. You're never going to think like me unless I open your eyes to it. Woo! That changed the way I prayed. Even gave me freedom. We have the side of the sinful nature, even desires, that's always going to be there. But we also have God's thoughts, which Holy Spirit, he, he holds it. And I'm like, well, how do I get that? 
How do I get that? Let's go to the next slide. In Jeremiah 31, 33, God says, Someday I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. God is wanting to write his truth on my heart, not just correct information. See, Jonah knew he's merciful, loving, but he didn't feel it. There was no emotion of love coming out of him for Nineveh, just anger. That was coming from the sinful nature side. I don't know how the Holy Spirit worked back then, but today when you believe the gospel, he says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. He's in you. You have access to God's thoughts now today. It was different than the Old Testament. That's why Paul, you when you read it, he, he sounds like a spaz. He's so excited because I lived under the law for those 30 years as a rabbi. And now I know what it's like. Now I have the spirit. It's so much different. It's so much better. Are you experiencing that? And my answer for many years was no. I'd walk out to church and be like, what is the deal? Why? And I would say it's because Jesus had not opened my mind to understand the truth of love. I understood the gospel, but the word love was just like an empty word to me. Grace, mercy, loving kindness. What changed? You see, I think one of the commandments or things God is telling you, if you're in God's group, right? God's group, you have the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit many times would say, hey, you should open that and read it. And I walk by. And then finally I read it, give five minutes. Okay, I didn't get anything out of that. Go to the church the next Sunday, hope I get something else. God knew I was going to give up after five minutes. So I'm not giving you my precious jewels yet, buddy. And so then I started praying because he said, I just felt my natural desire is never to want to read this because that's what God wants me to do. And I can't even see it unless he opens my eyes. So I'm like, Lord, I pray for the desire to do it because you said you would give me that desire there in Galatians. I pray that I would stay as long as it takes, do whatever it takes so that there's this mm, of whatever endurance in me so that I will stay here seven straight days, whatever it takes for you to open my eyes to the beauty and the wonder of your word that I see you doing in other guys, but not me. And then slowly over time, he did. Now you got little highlights in the Bible. Those are moments where it's like, wow. And over time, it's just getting greater and greater and more amazing. And then now I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to tell people that this is really real. Because I walked out of here and just lost faith that this wasn't for me. This wasn't real. That's the difference between correct information and God writing it on your heart. When I talked about the gospel, were you like, yes, yes, I hope he shares it. Yes, amen. Did you feel that? That's the Holy Spirit writing it on your heart. Like, yeah, confirming it. Maybe you believe it, but it's not that strong. Or maybe you're in the midst of darkness and walking and doing things in secret that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing because you're only as godly as your secrets and what you do in secret. Ooh, I don't like that one. You're only as godly as your secrets and what you're doing in secret. So what, man, what'd you do last night on the internet? That's a gauge where your godliness is at. Right, were you angry? Driving on the way to church? I love it. I kind of listened to as doors slam. Okay, they got in a fight on the way to church. <laughs> Seriously, I've gotten in a fight more on the way to church than not. What's the deal? Every time we get in the car, honk, honk. Like, it's like the anger just builds in me. 
You're fine. Your face is fine. Get in the car. We're late again. Five years running. You're consistent. Why are we always angry on the way to church? Because I, I crave that every morning when I wake up. I have a natural tendency. And so I pray, Lord, I, I pray against tomorrow. I pray against today. Lord, may you give me the desires. May I walk with you. May it just be amazing and beautiful and sweet. May when, you, when I read this, may it not just be correct information, but may you write it on my heart. Um, there's two possible places for me to be filled today. Either Satan and the sinful nature or God. And I'm just going to share this last story to kind of illustrate. So I've been enjoying time with the word this year, and it's been beautiful. It's been the best year ever. And I just pray, Lord, don't let this stop. Do whatever it takes so it's not stop. Because I know I never want to do what you want me to do. And uh, two weeks ago, we were back in Michigan. We're getting ready to go back to Papua New Guinea, and we have 12 more days. We're, we're going back. But we were speaking. I was getting message ready. We were packing, and I did one overnight. And just to back history on me, I, I have a problem with working too much, overdoing it. We almost got in a divorce in 2007 because of it. So this is a hot-button topic between Courtney and I. And so I did my first all-nighter Monday night. Didn't sleep all day Tuesday. Wednesday, I slept for a little bit. Then I'll say Sunday night. I don't know. Anyways, second night, I did an all-nighter. Still no sleep. Uh, but, you know, one night of sleep, no sleep. Then I did a third all-nighter. Oh, and I was just dead at the end of it. This is just two weeks ago. And then I'm supposed to speak at Cornerstone Moor Park that Sunday. I was like, oh, I'm so dead. Like, here I'm supposed to talk about how amazing it is, and yay, it is. But this week was kind of a dry week, and I made three mistakes. And I believe at some point it is a sin not to sleep, because that's a command, sleep. I don't know, thou shalt sleep. But, you know, you can <laughs> see it anywhere. You're supposed to sleep. If you don't, you die. So sleep. And that was one thing I never did. Um, I was really discouraged Saturday night. It's 10 o'clock. I'm supposed to preach the next day. I'm supposed to apply what I'm preaching. Okay. I just said, Lord, I am discouraged right now. And I'm worrying about tomorrow. I don't know what to do. This is last Saturday. And I know I'm not supposed to be discouraged, but I am. I know I have correct information. And, and one thing that did help me, uh, whenever you read through the Gospels and you see faith and trust and belief, they're all concepts of the same root word in the, in the Greek and the Hebrew there. They're three words. And he's, he would always tell his disciples, why are you afraid? You have little faith. Why are you worrying? You have little faith. Why are you arguing? Why are you angry? You have such little faith. He never said that to the Pharisees. Always directed to his disciples. So I'm like, okay, I know. And then I started to get angry. 10 o'clock at night, I'm standing outside in the backyard. I'm trying to preach, and I just start feeling angry. It's like, ah, there I go again, failing. Can't even share anything on Sunday. No one has screwed up this bad. Three times in a row? And I just looked to the Lord. I said, Lord, I I pray I'd hear your truth. What is it? And I've... Didn't hear this audible voice, but the thought came to mind, three, three, three. Do you know Peter denied me three times? And do you know I loved him before he denied me three times? I knew he was going to deny me three times, and I still loved him. I loved him at the second denial and the third denial, and I loved him after the denial. It never stopped. Actually, I already forgave him too. 
I'm starting to process my identity. Okay, I'm forgiven of this. I already confessed it many times. I don't know if you do this. I try to make myself feel bad. I think about it over and over and over. Make yourself feel bad, feel bad, feel bad, so you won't do it again. But he, he's like, no, I've forgiven you. You're the one now sinning, trying to make yourself feel bad for what you did three times. And I'm here today ready to talk with you. And free. I've already forgiven you. This, let's look at it from my view, God's view, because you're looking at it from a human point of view. And that is my prayer for you and me. That's the battle. In the moments of discouragement, of the worry, of the pain. Okay, what's your view of this? Okay, I'm a child of you. I've been forgiven. Going through those identity truths again. And now I can say he was writing that truth of love on my heart. 10.30, Saturday night. What's he writing on your heart? The biggest thing I had to come to grips with is just be honest. I told the guys in my group, I don't feel like he's writing anything on my heart. This is where it all started years ago. I got to stop faking it. This is my secret. This isn't really that alive to me. Pray that it will become that. And so that's my prayer for you because it's really real. He really does. And if you're out there like I was struggling and you're up, down, up, down, up, down, there, there's hope for you. This should change the way you pray. You're not some weirdo craving weird things that none of us else, none of us, none, no, finish that for me. <laughs> that no one else craves. Thank you, an English teacher, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Homeschooler, even better. <laughs> that no one else deals with. I just hope, I want you to have hope that you're not alone. There's such power in that. There's such power in that. And so we're going back for two years to work with these guys, um, the five guys that I showed up on on the PowerPoint there, um, these are our five leaders right now. And the reason I put their faces on this card is because they asked me to. They asked me to ask you to pray for them. I've never done this before. Why? Because we want to conceal their identity. You know, there's ups and downs. And once you put your picture out there and we delete the picture, everyone's going to wonder what happened. And uh, this has happened. I would put their pictures in PowerPoints, even in the Yembi video that you saw. Uh, how, how's that guy doing? He's kind of walking away from the Lord right now. Man, it's the curse of the PowerPoint. Okay, I don't want to put anybody else in a PowerPoint or a video so that you walk with God. I'm kidding. It's not the curse of the PowerPoint. But um, these guys have prayer requests that they made. They're on this other card there if you want to bookmark or whatever. And they said, please pray for humility and that we would have a walk with God because we feel like the mouth of the alligator is there ready to munch on us. Please pray for us. So we're going to back to work with them and praying that God will open their eyes, that as they read, that this becomes amazing to them, which is something only God can do. And they're saying, pray for that, pray for that. We're seeing a glimpse of that, but we want more of it. We don't want it to stop. God, do whatever it takes. So this is really real to me, not just some dead word on a page, correct information. So we're doing that the next two years. I pray the same for you because it's possible. Amen. Amen. Thank you.